0: We want to welcome to the microphone for the second time in 2019, his honor, the mayor of Erie, Joe Schember. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, I'm so glad, glad that you're here. Me. And, you. and uh, you know, so we're we're fully through a year of of your, your your first year, your inaugural year. Yes. And the pace is kind of the same, isn't it?
1: It hasn't changed too much, to be very honest. No, and but I'm enjoying it. I find it energizing. I love what I'm doing. I can't get enough
0: of it. Wow. Yeah. do D I know you know one of the things that's kind of cool that I've seen you do and again I'm, I'm sure it's part of just being the mayor of the biggest city in the region but you you're not afraid to cross uh, those municipal lines to, you know, to have a news conference or to join Absolutely. one of your colleagues uh, yeah. in an announcement. Yeah. I
1: like to think of myself as a regional thinker. And I really think the more we all work together, the better off it'll be for everyone. So I, I don't like that, you know, kind of power play type stuff. Right. Uh, I'd rather be involved and out there and accessible and, and taking part in things.
0: Do you, do you think that um, that's being well received and reciprocated uh, from colleagues in the other townships and and the county and so on, or yeah, I
1: think for the most part we've done a couple mutual things with Mill Creek, for instance, and yeah, it's, it's benefited both us and Mill Creek, and uh, we've enjoyed working with them, and it seems like they've enjoyed working with us. And uh, I'm trying to develop good relationships with all all the you know elected officials in mm-hmm. in all of Erie County, to be honest.
0: Well, and and again, you know, like we say all the time, a site selector doesn't know. You know, the Erie stops at Bird Drive and Pittsburgh Ave and yes. Grandview. I mean, it's not a right. it's not a thing at all. It's the metropolitan area That's right. that, that they concern themselves with and everybody benefits. You're absolutely right. Yes. You know. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about economic development in a bit, but I, I want to ask about you and, and your administration. Is the honeymoon over or is, is things getting tougher now? Uh, there,
1: there are definitely some challenges. Like one of my top priorities is uh, to get alerta in place in the city of hundred percent alerta because when we had that back, uh, tw- 10, 12 years ago when I was in city council, construction in the city was six to seven times as much as it is right now. Yeah. It really seems to work. Uh, the, the problem of course has been the school district. It's not, it's, it's a real problem that they have with their finances and with the, the overseer from the state, mm-hmm. they, they have to be very careful. They have to make sure what they do is financially sound or could have some really bad consequences for them. So I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't mind them. We know what they're right. doing. And uh, I think we're getting close to another agreement. We've got a meeting tomorrow. Uh, if that goes well, I think we could uh, have a hundred percent learning in place uh, very soon here.
0: So the last time I had heard uh, you, there was like a f- there was something on the table that you thought was getting all the way through. It's, it's just yeah. taken that kind of time. Yes. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. And that, it's not going to be exactly what I had thought it would be, but, okay. but it's going to be much better than what we have now. And I think it's going to be a good thing that will really give the incentive for a lot more, co- both residential and commercial construction in Erie.
0: Uh, just just a rabbit trail. Because when I think about Lerd, I think about, you know, the, the, the tax abatement that was offered yeah. to uh, Amazon to, to build in Long, Long Island City. And they said, goodbye you know yes. we, we don't want it i mean 20 billion dollars worth of uh investment you know that would have cost them about 4 billion in tax abatement yes it's kind of yes. i mean those those are numbers at a very very high level they're big numbers. i mean i mean that is but there is an a scalable level we're talking about literally the same thing insofar as that um the school district is not out of money that doesn't exist right now if you yes. if you're lerta it causes somebody to build a new building in a, in a fallow piece of land, they'll get that money eventually. Cause that Absol- building doesn't get knocked
1: down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's much better than have the building never get built. And yes. Plus, if there's employees in the new building, they pay an income tax, and half that goes to the school district, half goes to the city. So it's a good thing in a lot of ways. And we're really hoping that this Lerner will increase both residential and commercial construction, create more jobs, create more people living and working in Erie. Uh, that that is our goal, and I believe it will happen. And I think we're getting close. Okay, um,
0: and, you know, and along that line, we we have a lot of conversations about tax exempt properties yes. and. And you know, a lot of people, especially on social media like the bash, the the nonprofits, you know, the the hospitals and the and the universities, but you see these studies that come out of economic impact. Penn State recently had a study uh-huh. of the billions of dollars that they have on an impact across the board and they were able to identify even right down to Penn State Barron's impact on Erie County. Mm-hmm. Um is that just a lack of understanding by the taxpayers that you know, you have a lot of employees again, and you have a you have yeah. a ton of employees at Hammett yes. that again are paying uh they're paying income, income tax. tax yes
1: they're that's right. they're
0: they're they're buying tickets to the SeaWolves yes they're they're you know they're going to events downtown they're yeah. living and they're working downtown
1: absolutely can you speak
0: to that a little bit I
1: mean y- yes I mean I, you know I really think one thing people, most people don't know is our, our two large hospitals both Hammett and Saint Vincent's. Do pay 50% pilot payment yeah. in lieu of taxes, so they are paying, and they don't have to do that, but they're voluntarily doing that, and that's certainly a big help. Uh, I think about 40% of areas nonprofits, so obviously those nonprofits, aren't, but many of them do pay some sort of pilot uh, payment. We'd like to see more doing that. It's not an easy thing to get going, but uh, and I can tell you that the led by the school district, the city, the county, and the school district have. Got a lot of people that are paying not enough tax, or you know they they've done a very good job of leading and making sure we're getting the proper tax payments from both uh, for-profit and non-not-for-profit organizations.
0: What, what the, uh, is the is the city the smallest? piece of, of that, of the three taxing bodies? No, uh, the, the county,
1: or excuse me, yeah, the, the county is about 15%. That okay. They're The city is about 35%. The school district is about 50%. Is that that makes that up goes? 100% okay. of the real estate tax. So
0: yeah, when you're paying your real estate tax, that's how it's going, that, Correct. that, that uh, escrow. If you want to ask uh, Mayor Schember a question, six seven nine ten eighty, or send an email uh, joel at Um Beyond uh, Lurda and taxes, what do you think Right now, what is our most difficult problem here in Erie? Hmm,
1: that,
0: that's a good question.
1: Uh, I know we're working on a lot of a lot of different things. I'm just yeah. trying to think what you know
0: what's the. But what keeps you up at night? Uh, I
1: I think we you know we Lurda has been keeping me up at night for a long <laughs> time. To be very honest, yeah. there's been, we've been doing a lot of work uh, just recently on that. Uh, a lot of meetings, a, a you know, a lot of numbers crunching, yeah. spreadsheets, and, and I'm really pleased with what. Brian polito is, is putting together, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow and hopefully if if all goes as I hope it will, we could have alert in place citywide by the end of April, potentially okay, uh, wow, obviously, things have to go right, but I, I really like what what Brian has put together now, what he's recommending. We'll run it by everyone tomorrow at a big meeting and and see how it goes, yeah. Um,
0: as far as uh, crime and and violence, it's been quiet. I mean, again, it's been the winter time. Yes. Um, but uh, it's kind of remarkable what the Collins and the the efforts of Unified Erie have had on the the city's uh, crime climate, hasn't
1: it? Yes, it really is. I've been very active in Unified Erie and the Collins since I've been mayor, and they, they're very moving experiences. And I, I yeah, I believe we've, uh, I, I want to say eliminated, but we've really made gangs much less a part of the Erie community. And what we're really trying to do is celebrate Erie's diversity. You know, we've got this uh, thing called the People's Supper going on now. I don't know if you've heard about that. Yes, uh, that's, that's one of the things we're working hardest on right now, because as you know, we have the five-point vision. And the first point is that we celebrate our rich cultural diversity. So what I've been saying to the people uh, participating in the People's Supper series is what I... If I could do nothing else as mayor, one thing I like to do is eliminate racism and prejudice and eerie, have every person accepted for who they are, the value they bring, which we all bring some kind of value regardless of sex, uh, regardless of age, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your religious preference, your nationality. None of that should matter. Everybody's got something to offer and that's what's unique about Erie. And even in the United States, Erie's got much more diversity than a lot of other United States cities. Uh, I found that out because I was interviewing, uh, helping to interview candidates for for our Chamber of Commerce. We had some from the Midwest and I would always ask about diversity in the interview and the ones in the Midwest kind of said, well, our entire city is white. So I wow. don't know what to, you know, yeah. how to respond to that. <laughs> right. And that kind of opened my eyes to yeah. what we have. It's really unique here. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we induct 50 new Americans 10 times a year at the federal courthouse. That's 500 new Americans. And they're usually from anywhere from 17 to 25 different countries, a very diverse group. I, I make a point always going to that to welcome them. And I give them each a pen to welcome them into the country. Wow. So, yes.
0: Can, can you uh, drill down on the people supper? Because I'm not sure a lot of yes. I, I'm not sure. I totally understand okay. how it started and what's happening now. Because it's it's a closed group, but it's uh, it's communication, right? Yes.
1: And this is something we started to work on about in the middle of last year. It's probably been in the, in process for eight or nine months. And the People Supper is actually a national organization that does suppers. Uh, to improve communications all over the country. They've been doing that for about two and a half, three years. And they've done over 1,200 of the suppers. Hmm. We, we learned about them, and we've been we've started meeting with them last year and said, you know, we just don't want to do one supper. We want to do a supper where we really can come up with some recommended actions and solutions, things we can do to improve Erie's diversity, to to eliminate racism and prejudice. And so there's actually a series of eight suppers that we're having, the, we had a bridging supper back in January, which is the first one. And what we have is about eighty people, roughly. Okay. And there's about twenty African Americans, about twenty new Americans, twenty Hispanic or Latino Americans, and about twenty white Americans. And we have them all together in a bridging supper, but they're all mixed up. You know. And at, this was an stable.
0: invitation only thing. You were trying to you were trying to kind of find people that would be open to correct to to other. Uh, People that are different than them. That's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. And we trained facilitators out of this group. We hand-selected trained facilitators that run the table. And I can tell you I'm always there to greet them and welcome them and show them our vision. But my staff and I leave during the suppers and the people, supper people, actually run them. They were afraid if we were present in the room, it might somehow influence the conversations or they might not be as open. So we actually go and have our own dinner and talk about things. And then we come back at the end to hear, hear a report. I can tell you, we've had, we've, we had that first bridging supper that went really well. Now we're going through a series of four what we call affinity suppers. And that's where in the first affinity supper, we had uh, the 20 African-Americans together. The second one, we had the 20 Latinos. We just finished a week or two ago, the 20 whites and coming up, I think it might be this Thursday, is the 20 New Americans, and, they'll, and they're looking at things from their point of view, and uh, I can tell you the suppers have gone very well so far. Once we finish that fourth Affinity Supper, we'll have two more Bridging Suppers, and what we're hoping is that each group has come up with some ideas, some things they want to, you know, that, that, that we can do, that they see we can do to eliminate racism. And so we'll, we'll hopefully come up with at least some rough ideas in the in the next bridging supper. And then there'll be one more where we're hoping to come up, make those very specific. Here's the things we want to do going forward. And then we're going to have a celebration supper, probably in early January or July. We haven't actually set the date for that one yet because of some conflicts. We're still working on that, but that we're going to invite beyond the people that always come another couple hundred people to participate in that. Oh, wow. And we want them to hear and We want them to voice their suggestions and ideas of how can we make it even better than what we've come up so far.
0: Do you think that there's uh, at the end of all this, there's a messaging campaign or some kind of uh, public outreach for this?
1: Absolutely. There's going to be we we want something to come out of this, this actions we have to take to Mm -hmm. to move every forward and improve the not improve the diversity, but improve the acceptance of, of everyone. What everyone accepted for who they are and what they have to give. Everyone's got something to give. The more diversity we have, the stronger we are, and we want everybody to feel that way.
0: Let's talk about uh, early intervention. You, you, uh, this year for 2019, you faced an $11 million deficit. Somehow you were able to close the gap yes. through, you know, just kind of really being tight on on uh, yeah. uh, a lot of different things. I mean, again, m- money is, and the numbers are kind of your uh, well, ballywick. I mean, you, well, you're
1: you used to it. Yeah, 40 years in banking. So I think I understand the finances pretty well. And the city's finances are are not in bad shape. You know, we actually have about an $11 million budget surplus uh, year to year. But last year, kind of the way it was done, uh, there, you know, one thing is our debt service was going up uh, like $4 million. Our wages were going up about $2 million. There was a, a number of things in there that contributed at that $11 million hole that we started planning uh, this year's budget in. But, uh, you know, and what we did is we're actually refinancing the debt uh, to reduce that payment amount. And the other major thing we we did was increase uh, the income tax uh, uh, up to uh, 1.60. And the only bad thing about that is it only applies to people that live and work in the city. Mm -hmm. So if you work in the city but live outside the city, you don't pay that additional tax.
0: But if you work outside the city like I do but live in the city... I still pay the tax. I pay the 1.6. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> either 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 now or later. Yeah. It's like the Fram oil filter guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's right. If you're a city resident. Yeah. Now, we're
1: really hoping that we can do some things that we're, we're really looking closely at. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how this will work yet, yeah. but we're looking closely at, at the city's retirement plans. Yeah. And if they could be considered moderately distressed, which uh, there's some very old assumptions in there that aren't realistic anymore, we'd like to change them to more assumptions that are valid today, we probably would be moderately distressed. We're studying that right now. We won't do anything. But if we get the moderately distressed, then anyone who works in the city, regardless of where they live, would pay that additional tax. Which might allow us to actually lower it a little bit because we'd have you know 60% more people paying it. Only 40% of the people that work in the city live in the city as well.
0: And it's only pensions that allow you to, to move into that different law.
1: Yeah, it's by state law that if your pension is monetarily distressed, then you can tax people working in your municipality even if they don't live there.
0: Very interesting. Yes. Any thought of a, of a, an additional sales tax for the city? Well, that might be devastating, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, and yeah. We, we've we talked about it, but there's no specific plans. Yeah. You know? I think one thing they did in Pittsburgh is they, you have to get state permission to do this mm-hmm. also, but they increased the sales tax 1% to 7% instead of 6 and then that money, Goes to the, all the municipalities in the county, but also it has to go to a project that's going to provide jobs and, and benefit the county. Uh, so we're we're uh, we've talked about that, but that's not high on our radar right now.
0: And that and you'd want that to be a countywide thing, I would think. Um, uh, not necessarily in Pittsburgh.
1: No? It's only it's not the entire county. It's, it's, not, only, it's not all of it's Allegheny. It's Pittsburgh, yeah. okay. right? Yes, yes.
0: Okay. Um. Uh. Early intervention. Uh. uh public financial management of Philadelphia. Uh, has been picked for the early intervention program. Yes. Um, they seem to know the territory. Yes. Although, uh, you know, they, there's a little bit of a backlash from the report that the that the school board sent. You know, the financial uh-huh. uh, administrator, there, uh, the Department of Ed is sending it back, saying it wasn't specific enough, and that was created by PFM or... Are you still confident in their uh, expertise?
1: Absolutely. I think the thing with the school district is more Charles Zogby, who's the, okay. the, the yeah. state representative. He's been working with it. I don't. I don't think it was PFM. I,
0: okay. It I thought be. they were informing that that plan, but um, they, they you, may
1: have been involved. I'm not yeah. really sure. Uh, but
0: uh, but they they they've been already uh, you know being able to see the tax tables and and the income. Or what are you, what are you hoping that they'll do for you?
1: Well, you know, I'm not telling them anything. I'm hoping that they will tell us how how to reduce expenses and increase income. And I've committed publicly that I will implement what they tell us. If there's something we don't implement, there'll be a very good reason. and I'll explain why, Uh, but I'm really looking forward to their recommendations. They're, they've done this in a lot of cities, not just in Pennsylvania, but around the country. And we interviewed actually three consultants as, as part of this process. There was a team of us, and uh, each was very good. But once we were done, we looked at each other, and it was PFM all this the way. This was the one, yes,
0: yeah. Yes. So, so uh, when does that process begin, and when are you hoping to have it as a, uh, a report submitted, I guess? Yeah, I'm hoping
1: it will be begin no later than April. We're in the process right now of finalizing a contract with them. Once that's signed, they'll they'll start. I'm hoping within five to six months we'll have the recommendations so we have them in time for next year's budget. Anything we can implement quickly, we will. Uh, some things we may be implemented in, in next year's budget.
0: Is is there a, a similar situation for the third class cities of some kind of basic, uh, state subsidy, or you get the block grants, you know, I know that there's the community block grant, but those are, those are federal, right? Yeah. So what about on the state side? Uh, as far as your regular budget, is there anything that you can always count on? I don't
1: believe we get any funding from the state. Uh, I could be wrong. Yeah. uh, Nothing pops to my head. You know, the biggest thing of course is real estate tax and income tax is large as well. And there's a lot of different things we, we charge for, you know, sure. code enforcement and that sort of thing. Absolutely, uh, I'm not sure that we get any state money, although they do do grants, uh, which are, are very helpful. Right. You know, that's the, uh, the Seawolf Stadium is being remodeled with the new entrance. It's thanks to the, uh, thanks to the grant by, from the state. And that, when, once that is finished and once the Warner... It's finished. That's going to be an incredible, right there at ninth and French, it's going to be the center of Erie's arts, culture, and sports. I mean, it's, it's going to be a place I think people love to be, and, and there'll be big crowds down there regularly.
0: We're talking to Mayor Joe Schember. Welcome back. Thank you, Joel. Happy to be here. We're so, we're so thankful that uh, you've been able to come out, make the trek uh, out to the Hinderlands, and talk uh, about what's happening in the city. Um, we're going to keep moving forward here. Uh, Opportunity Zones, a flagship Opportunity Zone Corporation. Um, the the gentleman there, uh, John Persinger, and, and the crew from EDDC. Uh, I think Brett Wild, Brett Weiler, Weiler, Brett Kate Weiler. went out. Uh, yes. Um, they went to a an, a an exclusive, invitation only event. Yes. To kind of present our Opportunity Zones, they were able to actually make presentations. Yes. Uh, What what are you finding out about that from what you hear? That event
1: actually just ended yesterday. Yeah. And Bruce Katz is one of the organizers of the events. Mm. In fact, last year I went to a training session in Las Vegas that Bruce was very active in. I got to know him well. He really respects what we're doing here in Erie and Opportunity Zones. I just got a text from Bruce today. He said, Joe, the Erie team did an amazing job at our Opportunity Zones seminar yesterday. Kudos to you and your team for being first movers. He's going to be back in Erie in June. He told me he looks forward wow. to catching up then. That's uh, fabulous. He has told me in the past, he thinks uh, of all the cities in the country, we're one of the top 10 in terms of our preparedness to market opportunity zones. Uh,
0: and it, it seems like first first come, first serve on, yes. on this deal. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. and, and the they some incredible amount of money is on the line, like $600 billion across it's, the country. There's actually over
1: $6 trillion <laughs> sitting... <laughs> S- sitting in unrealized capital gains, which is what this program is for. It basically says, if you have, if people have money in a the gain, they don't want to take the gain because then they got to pay tax on it. Right. But if you invest in an opportunity zone, we have eight of them in the city that have been approved at the state and federal level. So if you invest in an opportunity zone, you don't have to pay tax on that capital gain until 2024. Wow. If you stay invested in the opportunity zone that whole time, you get a 15% discount on the tax. Plus- as if your investment in the Opportunity Zone does well, which, of course, we want those to do well as well, you never pay tax on the capital gain and what you invest in the Opportunity Zone. So that six, $6.4 trillion is there and we're thinking these people are going to jump into the opportunity
0: zones. Incredible. And and again, it's focused on low income and underperforming yes. spaces across the country.
1: Yes, that was one of the criteria for choosing an opportunity zone. It had to be low income. The, the uh, income of the residents had to be below the, the state average, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple other opportunity zones in Erie County that were requested by outside of the city but they were declined for that reason. Okay. So uh, wow.
0: Yes. So so lots of great news and you know uh, we really put our best foot forward and been yes. doing so now uh, since the tax law really kicked in what was that late of uh late of 17 I it think was, it was. It was passed in 2017 yeah. and they're
1: still actually working on the final rules and regulations but okay. we know enough now that we can move forward marketing it.
0: Beautiful. Let me let me turn to blight. Six thousand blighted homes, according to Charles Buki. Yes. You're saying it's more like two thousand. Yeah,
1: I think that's kind of a high number, the six thousand. Mm-hmm. But you we certainly want to eliminate blight, remove it. Uh, you know, there there is some money that was made available through the gaming authority, a million dollars for blight removal throughout the county. And uh, the, the county has been very gracious in giving the city our fair share of it, which is about three and a half, uh, 350,000. And with that, we're able to eliminate blight in 20 houses that were some of the worst in the city. That that in some cases, it means tearing the house down. In other cases, it means fixing it up. Uh, OK, so so that that is moving forward. It's a step in the right direction. And you know, we want to continue working on that.
0: What do you think is a, kind of a real sustainable approach to to this problem. Because again, when you have this mountain of 2000 homes and, and, and again, you hear these statistics of, of uh, two or more blighted homes on your block drops, your, your property values by 50% or some crazy number.
1: Absolutely. I can tell you, I did door to door last July on Erie's East side. And as we were doing that, we you know, we met a lot of really good people. A lot of them had lived there 10 years or more. A lot of them, they were living in the house they grew up in. They bought it from their parents. Really, really good people. But I'd be like standing on their porch talking with them and they would say something like, they get a little embarrassed because their porch might be a little run down and they'd say, you know, I fixed my porch up. But look at that house across the street. Mm-hmm. It has broken windows. The gutters are hanging. There's weeds growing all over the place. Why should I put money into my house when this? And what that really taught me is good people in Erie have lost hope and that's why you know, our mission is build opportunity, restore hope, transform area. The restore hope part of that is really, because if you have hope, if you're optimistic, you'll do a lot more than you would if you don't have it.
0: Yeah. And and again, they, they want to see tangible results. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the, so I guess in, in some of these areas, you wonder what it would take to just kind of really, you know, get that flywheel going. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, you know, uh, yes, yeah, 40 homes, that sounds great, but what would it take to double that? Is Is—is yeah. it, I mean, do we have to get some money that's sitting on the sidelines involved with this? Do we need private money involved with this? Yes. Do we need like a shaping tomorrow grant? I don't know. I what are say, we talking about?
1: I would say yes to all of that. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, Kathy Rosdick, my, my planner is, is working on right now. You know, we had, back when I was a kid, back in the 1970s, we had about 140,000 people in Erie. Now we're around 100. So we have 40,000 less people, and you know we, we don't need as many houses as we have now. So part one of the things party uh, Sandy, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. One, one, of the, one of the things we're looking at is saying, maybe there's blocks on the east side where we should just tear down all the houses and make it a park yes. that the people around would benefit from. And, you know, because we want to grow Erie, and really, one of our goals is that in the 2020 census next year, which is very important, everybody participates in. One of our goals is is that we get the city's population reported back over 100,000. Oh, absolutely! Uh, that, that's a major goal of ours, and we're working hard on that. Uh, so, and that
0: and people need to understand that's a trigger for federal funding on a lot of different Absolutely. levels, Absolutely. that hundred thousand, you know, not, it's more than just the snow globe. Yes. It's, it's, You're right. it's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot at stake for us to be over a hundred thousand yes. in 2020. Yes. It affects the amount of CDBG
1: money and other uh, federal funding that, that we get. So that's very important. And we're not going to, we're not going to fake the numbers. We want them to be real, but we, and we think if we can get a good count, it will be well over a hundred thousand.
0: And, and uh, you, we'll, we'll tie the jobs thing into that, too. Hey, we're talking to uh, Mayor Joe Schember, 679-1080 is the number if you want to weigh in. Uh, along with that, there's a lot of jobs to do the count. And again, yes. it's important that they well staff the Census Bureau next yes. year. Yes,
1: and those are good jobs. And I can tell you, there's a lot of great jobs here in Erie. Uh, when we talk with employers, I can tell you, just about every employer I go to talk to tells me, you know, I've got five jobs, if I could find the people I'd fill right mm-hmm. now. We, you know, we want to have an abundance of family-sustaining jobs. And, and these are, the jobs I'm talking about aren't like flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or something. These are real family-sustaining jobs. They're available. We met with our business council this morning, which is composed of a wide variety of business owners in Erie. And to a person, they're basically telling us, I, if, if I could find a couple more people, if I could find 20 more people, I would hire them tomorrow. Uh, so, what do you
0: think the disconnect is there, Mayor?
1: Uh, I, I think some of it is our mentality that we've kind of we've kind of gotten negative about jobs, and people think they're not available. Why should I even try? But again, I can tell you that the business owners I talk to here in the Erie area, not just in the city either, even on the outskirts as well, they have a lot of good jobs available. Uh, One of the problems is uh, sometimes, you know, the the negative testing for drugs and, Mm -hmm. you know, and the ability to show up at work regularly, put in your time, go home, come back the next morning. That that seems to be lacking a lot of times. Uh, So that that causes problems for the employers.
0: I'll ask the same question uh, that I asked Kathy Dahlkemper last week about, uh, you know, the lieutenant governor coming into town. Asking about recreational marijuana, uh-huh. and this uh, is this is a, this, <laughs> is a left, okay. this is from left field for you, Mayor. Sorry about that. No but problem. No, I mean this this concept that you have on one hand, um, you know, state state lawmakers salivating over the potential tax revenue from recreational marijuana. On the other hand, you have uh, people that 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 are in the know in the medical field saying, you know, this has uh, this is a gateway drug. It leads to opioid addiction in a lot of cases. It's it's really something not to goof up with. Um, uh, And again, I'm not sure that the mayor of a municipality has a a take on it, but you don't want to see a bunch of stoners in your town, do you?
1: Absolutely not. You know, I... (laughs) And I I I don't know how different using marijuana is from drinking alcohol, for instance. I mean Well it stays
0: in you for a week. It does? Okay. Yes. Thank you. I, I mean it's at least it, it's testable for a week. Wow, okay. And All that right. and that came from uh Lath knew that. Okay. In so it stays in the
1: in the system. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and if it's not good, I certainly don't want it to have it approved. Uh I don't know that you know, I've not been involved in detailed conversations about it. Never used so I I have no idea what you know, what the impact You never is. even
0: inhaled, right? No <laughs> I've now, been, come on, you are a seminarian. Well, so. <laughs> and when I was a
1: kid in the 60s, I can tell you, I was at concerts where marijuana's passed. I would always just take it and pass it to the next Good person. Yes. <laughs> never, I've never smoked either, right, so right. Uh, I probably couldn't do that.
0: Keep it healthy. We've got the Boy Drive. Scout mayor here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, um, uh, I'm going to move forward here because we've we're, we're, we're got our last 15 minutes. Okay. And we talked about Opportunity Zones. We talked about Blight. Um, you did do that neighborhood outreach last year. Yes. Are you going to try to get back in the neighborhoods again yes. this summer? I'd like to do that again
1: this summer. We haven't talked detailed plans about that yet. And I can tell you my staff, I'm concerned about my staff because they're all working so hard, so yeah. many hours, weekends, evenings. Uh, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure they don't burn out. Uh, but I would i would definitely like to do more door-to-door this summer. That's one of my favorite things to do as mayor, just around talking to people in, at their residence and in their environment and hearing what they have to say.
0: What 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 do you see with the, like the neighborhood resource organization and and the neighborhood watches? Maybe that's a way to yes. you know I, you you'll show up at those things too, right? Absolutely, I mean. yeah. I tr- in-
1: during the campaign, I got to a lot of the neighborhood meetings. Uh, I haven't gotten to as many as mayor because I've just been too busy, but I try to get to at least one a month. And, and also, the, you know, the meetings of the whole group down at the library. Okay. I do like to get to those and just hear what's going on. They seem, they appreciate me being there and a chance to tell me what's on their mind, what their concerns are, what's important to them.
0: As somebody who, who cares about people, um, what, what, are, what, are, what, is the, what is the worry about our neighborhoods that you have? And what what can we do about that? Well
1: obviously the lack of safety to some extent the crime the drugs that that are available uh you know that's the bad part about drugs i guess that it also comes with violence and crime and people get hurt and sometimes it's an innocent bystander mm-hmm. and the kids that grow up in these neighborhoods are seeing that stuff and that 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 obviously is not good it affects their whole vision of the world their view of things and uh it, it you know I, I didn't grow up in that environment as a kid. You know, I grew up with a, a dad that worked, a mom that was a school teacher, and that loved me and cared for me, and you know, if you, don't, if you don't grow up in, in an environment like that, if your parents aren't around, or they're, you know, at least they're, not, they're supporting you all the time, I think it's a lot harder to get a good mindset and a good approach to life, uh, but we've got to turn that around. In some cases, this has been going on for generations in families. Yeah. But we, you know, and there's a lot of good volunteers at nonprofits around the area that are trying to change that. And we'll do all we can to support their efforts.
0: Let's move forward again. We talked about the people's supper. Uh, you, there is um, some conversation about this $100,000 donation. Um, you know that helped pay for some new motorcycles yes. for the city of police. Um, uh, you know, one of the Congress uh, or one of the council. Uh, women said you know well let's have some transparency on that mm-hmm. can you explain the situation and should there be a foundation at the erie community foundation for gifts to the city yeah uh I, I tell
1: you, the way i feel about that is it would kind of be a waste uh because the, the idea of the foundation is people would give it to the foundation and then the foundation would give it to the city so okay. so that way if somebody wants to give it anonymously they could do it that way but still they i can tell you that with the hundred thousand the the individual that gave that asked for nothing from the city. They just want to help the police. There's mm-hmm. a connection there for this person. We wouldn't accept it if there's any strings attached to it or anything. They were any favors they were asking for. And uh, I think the less people that know about it, the better. That, that was this person's request. We checked legally. We actually got served with papers. Uh, I, I can't remember what media source it was from, but they were legally asking us, but our our attorney advised us that, no, there's no legal reason you need to disclose that. So I, I think it was best. And we, I can tell you, my administration would never accept money that had strings attached to it. Uh, th- this did not. It was purely a gift and it certainly helped the taxpayers. That's a hundred thousand less that we have to take out of taxpayer money. So i'm I'm comfortable with accepting it and ke- and keeping the donor's uh name quiet
0: and and the the reason that they want to keep it quiet, they don't want to be bugged, I would imagine yeah I, you know I, I didn't even ask them why
1: yeah that, that, that's that's what they said when they wanted to give it to us and and we ex- we accepted that and uh, mm-hmm. we're,
0: you know uh, well, how bad were the motorcycles they were pretty
1: old huh Uh They probably could have lasted a couple more years, but yeah. I think the police are pretty happy to be getting new yeah. up to date ones, yes
0: is is there a and again this this will be a question that we're going to ask of the Pennsylvania Economy League if there's a you know some kind of a best practice out there for a third class city especially in Pennsylvania yeah. where we're you know we we have these cities that are that are in tough times yeah. you know and there's people out there just hey you know just like in the old days yeah. Yeah, I I build the gazebo you know yeah. i mean i mean you think about uh, yeah. you know how Erie was built in the first place yes. it was a lot of gifts yes. to the community yes. the 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 fountain I think was a gift, yes. uh, right? I think you're right. Yes. So, uh, well, it's interesting to to see that kind of back and forth, you know, uh, on on that stuff. How is uh, how is uh, communication with council? I mean, it, it, historically, the fifth floor and council, they have an up and down uh, association. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the things I started doing last year is I go to every evening city council meeting. So the third Wednesday of the month, they meet in the evenings. And I don't know if, if there was ever a mayor that did that. I know in my experience, uh, I've never seen a mayor actually go to the meetings. I sit in on the caucuses, answer questions, give them information I want them to have. And I sit in on the meetings and give them a report at the end of the meeting. And so we uh, we found... it's. Council still wasn't quite satisfied with that in terms of access and and decisions. So another thing we started doing now this year, we just implemented that this year, we're having monthly meetings with council. But we can't meet with more than four at a time, or it's got to be disclosed to the press. Okay. We wanted to be able to talk to them about things we're working on that aren't ready to make public yet. I see. And so we meet with, at the most, three at a time. So there's seven of them. So sometimes we do three, three, and one. Sometimes we do three, two, two, depending on their schedules and what works but we're meeting with them once a month uh, towards the end of the month. And and we usually have a pretty long list. It's an hour meeting and it usually takes about an hour. And not only do we go over our list of what we want to run by them and some of it's questions, you know, we're thinking of doing sure, this. What do sure. you think of that? And, and then also they have a the time to ask us questions during this meeting. So it's not just our agenda, but if, if council wants to know about something, we can we can talk about it. So once a month, they each have an hour with us, and it's with me and my team, you know, the okay. administrative team, and uh, we give very clear answers to their questions and try to let them know what we're working on. So nothing should come as a surprise.
0: Well, and, and but on the other side too, uh, you know, I mean, there should be expectations that you have of council. Yeah. You you, you know what I mean I yes. mean this is this is I mean this isn't. I mean, my my biggest beef with council is just uh, many of those guys and and uh, men and women have been sitting there during the demise of our community, mm-hmm. you know, for many many uh, you know terms of service. Yeah. And and now all of a sudden, with the with the catalytic mayor, uh, mm-hmm. things are starting to happen. What what happened ten years ago, five years ago, two you know three years ago? And again, I'm putting you on the spot That's here, okay. mayor, but. Uh, no, uh, it, it, you know, this this is a two-way street. Yes, they have expectations of the mayor, yeah. but the the fifth floor should have expectations of of the council chambers.
1: Yeah, and we do and honestly sometimes one or two of the council people might disappoint me with how they we'll talk about something one-on-one or in a small group and yeah. then it ends up being a different story once it becomes public. But, mm. you know, that's part of life and I'm willing to accept that and my my approach is always be open honest transparent and accessible right so i'm trying to be right. that with everyone and certainly most importantly with council and i'll continue to, to work with them and if you know we're all going to make mistakes none of us are perfect uh the difference is i'll probably be the last one to know when i made a mistake <laughs> but i'll be the first one to
0: admit it publicly <laughs> right. Too, so right they, they they do they they, they hold stuff back yeah, on you yeah. um you know uh economic development uh i know we talked a little bit about that uh but you know this idea of um, that that's been in the news, and we talked about it last week. You know that we're not going to trade shows, we're not marketing. You know what what's our next level? Or what what is your expectation, for example? Uh, now that uh, James Grunke and the Chamber have been uh, chosen yeah. as the lead economic development uh, organization, what is, what are you expecting as mayor?
1: Well, I, I expect the Chamber of Commerce to take a leadership role now in economic development in our entire region, inclu- including the city. But I can tell you one of the most exciting things I'm going to be doing about, in about four weeks is I'm going over to China to visit our sister city there. It's Z I B O. We tend to pronounce it Zibo, but I think the Chinese I'm trying to get used to it, pronounce it like Zabola or something. Okay, like. so, interesting. But and there there's a program, a federal program, it's called EB five, where Chinese who invest in an American investment, whether it's a new factory or you know, new residential, whatever, they invest in America. If in the Erie area, if they invest at least half a million dollars, five hundred thousand, they get a green card, where one of their kids can come over here and go to school or you know be in the United States. And my understanding is the the Chinese like that, uh, and the Chinese are very social people. I'm going to learn a lot when I go over there because this will be my first time, really, Mm -hmm. even in that part of the world. Uh, I've been to when I was a kid. I went over to Portugal and Spain, but that's the only time I've ever even been in Europe. So I'm I'm going to learn a lot. But the main thing I'm going to be trying to do is build a good relationship with their mayor and their leadership team over there. We're going to be business owners as well, and then hopefully over the next couple years we will. work on things that mutually benefit us and Zaboa and and come up with things that help both communities grow. Um, and when is when is the timing of that I, trip? I, I leave April 13th.
0: Okay. And I'll Excellent. be back
1: April 21st, which is Easter Sunday. <laughs> I'll be back actually late in the day. <laughs> yeah. And they tell me that's when I'll be recovering from jet lag. <laughs> right, I'm sure. <laughs> yes.
0: Again, a, l- a little back and forth about uh, how this is paid for. There's some kind of a fund that pays for this trip, right?
1: Yeah, there's actually federal dollars that that were granted to the city many years ago. I think hmm. it was there, maybe during Joyce Savachio's administration, or it could have even been before that. I think it was Joyce Savacchio's administration. Gary Horton is going with us also. He's paying his own way, but he was involved. These funds have been sitting there and not being used, and the only thing that can be used for is travel to a sister city. So we're, those are the funds we're using. We're not using any taxpayer dollars from Erie taxpayers to do that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about going. I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest, because, you know, it's... Uh, they're 12 hours different than us, yeah. so when it's uh, 6 in the morning here, it's 6 at night over there. You're, wow. you're going to have to adjust to that. Obviously, there's a little bit of, bit of a language barrier. I understand most of the Chinese understand English pretty well, but of course, I don't understand any, any
0: Chinese. Do you have to prepare gifts? I mean, Yes,
1: we're getting gifts ready. We're getting a couple different presentations, PowerPoint-type presentations. of. We're going to introduce Erie in one. We're going to introduce Erie businesses, again, to try to plant some seeds for uh you know what they might want to do and we're going to introduce Erie education which is hmm. pretty unique and the Chinese are very interested in educational type exchanges you know we've got four great universities here a lot of them already have Chinese students and Chinese wow. faculty yeah. LICOM educates more doctors in the year than any other medical school in the country that's right here in Erie so we we feel we've got a lot there and uh i'm really looking forward to getting over there starting to have good conversations and and seeing what what we can develop there
0: Fantastic. Uh, The, um, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of our corporations, you know, when you think about uh, the former GE Transportation, they, they had, they had engineers and salespeople there all the time. I mean, it was, there was a a constant uh, run to uh, Shanghai or where have you. Uh, We've got our last minute here. I got to ask you about potholes. Okay. How are we doing on potholes?
1: Yeah, we've been patching them all winter when we can. And the good news there is you know because you know we are no longer having a large item pickup in April for that entire month where it becomes like a junkyard. Yeah. We we do that now by appointment and mm-hmm. we do it year round. So we're going to be able to start start fixing potholes, fixing streets a month earlier than we ever could before. We'll start in April instead of May and I think that's going people are going to see a huge difference much more quickly once we get started on that.
0: Quality of life ticketing, that's coming,
1: huh? It is. In fact, we're starting to give the first quality of life tickets. They're $25 if you put out a large item and you didn't call and, and get a number to be able to do it. So we're going to start ticketing the, the large item pickup. That's our we're, we're kind of easing into that because it's a new thing and we're trying to figure out the systems and all that. So that that's the only thing we'll be doing tickets for now. But we also wanted to remind people, don't put out a street full of large items in April because right. you're going to get
0: tickets if you do that. And uh, the... um. You know, the, the quality of life ticketing is mostly about like le- over, overflowing leaves or weeds, and, yes. you know, weeds stuff uh, gutters are broken yes. down, just, you know, taking care of the code violations. Yeah. Hopefully
1: that's going to help with blight because it's going to hopefully force people uh, to make sure that they take care of their homes. Last word from the fifth floor. Well, thanks very much for having me on. Don't wait two and a half months to ask me. Oh, back. no, I won't. Yeah, I'd, I'd love I'd love to be here. You know, Erie, the last word I'd say, the most important thing to me is Erie people in the Erie region. I'm not just talking about the city. We're working together now like never before. Public sector, private sector, nonprofits. I'm in many meetings. And in the past, people wouldn't be talking to each other. Now I really feel like people are working together and that's going to move our whole region
0: forward. I appreciate that. I I just want to encourage you that you know, even when we feel like we have, we're all on all jets, we got to kick it into a a new gear because right right now our flywheel needs to start moving. To as we go in a positive direction, we just need to keep going and going. And again, so many things that are our green shoots we're really excited about. We are talking about uh, the city of Erie. We got a city update. Uh, one hour epic conversation with uh, Mayor Joe, uh, his honor, Mayor Joe Schember from the uh, city of Erie, and kind of gave us a broad uh, you know, look at uh, you know what uh, what's going on in our city? you know, what's happening? what uh, what do we have to look forward to? and uh, you know what are some of the the issues that he's dealing with? You, right now, the alerta is keeping him up at night, and uh, uh you, you know um we are excited to um you have now move to more of a state approach to where we're at uh as a city you know kind of getting that state best practice approach and so we want to welcome to the microphone to, uh, via telephone it's uh, Rick Shuttler he is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Municipal League how are you today Rick I'm great, Joel. How are you? I'm so glad that you were able to take the time to be with us uh, today. Uh, Where do you hail from? Where is the Municipal League uh, uh, based, and where where are you calling in from?
2: Well, that's two different things. (laughs) Okay. um, uh, (laughs) um, Our headquarters is at 414 North 2nd Street in Harrisburg. Okay. You walk out the front door to Capitol and start walking towards the river, and we're up on the left, about two blocks. Okay. Um, I am calling you today from State College, a little closer to Erie, and uh, yeah. I'm. Uh, we have an annual conference that, and in fact, one of the subjects we're going to talk about today, pensions. Uh, we have an annual conference that focuses on labor, uh, collective bargaining, binding arbitration, all the best practices around that, and that starts tomorrow. So I'm here in State College.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time while you're uh, getting ready for your event. Uh, the Pennsylvania Municipal League is a nonprofit. Nonpartisan organization established in nineteen hundred as an advocate for Pennsylvania's third class cities and a league re- uh, represents participating cities, boroughs, townships, home rule communities, and towns that share your municipal policy interests. And uh and you're always monitoring the needs of your members. And your mission is to strengthen, empower, and advocate for effective local government. Well, in, in uh in a few words, uh or as many words as you want, Rick, what is the state of, uh, of uh, local government in Pennsylvania? Do you feel like we're effective?
2: Well, I think local government, frankly, is, and, you know, you, this is almost sounds cliche, but we're the closest to the people. Um, we, we are the most effective, you know, form of government. We do the things that matter most in everyday, in people's everyday lives. But I think it's generally true. Uh, so I think the state of local government is, is good. I think that we, um, I think we do a lot to try to, uh, sort of look at ourselves and make sure that we are employing the best practices and doing the things that can make your community improve the quality of life in your community and and do all those things that make people want to live there. Having said that, we, we know that we have, um, a lot of our members or folks that are struggling to make, you know, to to put together an effective local government to improve their communities. And we certainly want to help them, but we do have, you know, we do have some haves and have nots and we want to, we want to help everybody, but we certainly want to make sure those have nots uh, can move forward.
0: Is there a reason why uh, some have and some have not? Is it, is it proximity? I, you know, I, I, here's, here's the uh, kind of the, in a nutshell for me, when I went, uh, I went to a, um, a, uh it was it was a conference championship my son was a collegiate runner he he did track for Penn State Barron, right and uh, we went down to Montgomery County and uh, i think the the town was lake i want to say lake wales i'm not sure but one of those little towns uh, you know uh, colonial towns uh, in the in the philly suburbs i felt like i was in a different world i felt like i was in in the carolinas or something like that the roads were pristine the, you know the it was so well um, zoned and, you know, so, so nothing like looked out of the ordinary or run down. And, and, and I just didn't feel like I was still in Pennsylvania, but I was still in Pennsylvania. And so uh, is that a situation where, you know, in Montgomery County, where, which, which is obviously a much more uh, uh, wealthy county than Erie County, that, that they just are able to afford nicer things? Well, I think, I certainly think that's part of it. I mean, affluency
2: matters in those regards. And those Southeastern communities, you know, Montgomery County and, and, and Bucks and Chester certainly have, um, uh, more, uh, more economic growth and, and have seen, um, you know, more of their, their fair share of growth. We certainly have areas around the Commonwealth that, you know, that are on par with that. But, um, you know, you, you go into some of the older coal and steel towns, but Northeast, Southwest, and you certainly don't see that kind, that level of investment. And that is part of it. I think, I think that, you know, we represent communities that you would call full service communities. Okay. And by that, I mean, not just cities, by that I mean people that have police forces or that have career fire and, you know, community development offices and zoning offices and code offices, things like that. There are a whole lot of municipalities in Pennsylvania that don't have those things. Um, but, you know, God bless them. They do their thing and, and we do ours. So, when you look at those communities, they're certainly providing a level of service that they have to support out of the tax base in that geographic uh, you know, boundaries of their community. And that can be tougher and tougher. When, you can, when you're not built out and you're seeing growth, that can be certainly helpful in that bottom line and help you make those investments. Part of it, I think we have an antiquated tax system in Pennsylvania, local government tax system. We're very reliant on the property tax and then a, uh, a chunk of the earned income tax. Lots of our communities, there's less and less people who live in that community that are earning an income, therefore not paying an earned income tax. Earned income tax is all domicile based. Uh, Property tax, if these are older, denser neighborhoods and and you don't see the, you know, the new homes springing up, then obviously they're going to be at a disadvantage. And so, you know, we work to do some things to, to try to help those kind of communities.
0: We're talking to Rick Shuttler. He is the the um, executive director of the Pennsylvania Municipal League, and uh, we, you know, so let's talk about some of those best practices for these communities that have to provide a police department and a fire department and and so on. Now, again, uh, you know, um, I I know I know Erie really well, but you know, there again, let's we're talking in general third class cities. There was a time in Pennsylvania where, as a city was growing. You know, uh, it would it would annex or there would there would be this ability to just kind of continue to grow geographically. That kind of got nipped in the bud, I want to say, in the late 60s, um, be, because of some legislation that was uh, uh, was negotiated over between uh, uh, townships and cities. Do you have any of that background um, to talk about of, of why the cities are kind of landlocked? The these now go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No,
2: no, that's all right. It's, 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 you know, other states have it, but it's, you know, sort of unique to us. You, you, certainly people talk about the South and what's happening in the South and the growth and the health of communities, et cetera. Well, North Carolina has the annexation laws that you talked about. Those communities grow out Charlotte and you can in Texas, Houston, those cities, they grow out and we don't have that. You are correct. Um, I think about, ba- I think it was 1968 when, um, uh, that all came, you know, or somewhere in that regard, it came to a halt and all, all we've had since then are court cases. The constitutional convention of '68 had envisioned the leg- legislature passing legislation regarding annexation. It never happened, so now it really becomes um, uh, a function of the courts. Uh, but really, what what the law of the land is now that both entities, both the uh, you know municipality that will be annexed into and the one that's moving out, both both have to have referendums that vote for it, and that's very difficult to to have that take place. And um, so. You know we're, we're, we are we have what we have, and so what we try to do is is make those places better. And we've, you know, worked. We've, one of the big costs that, that, if you're a full service municipality and you have a full service police department or fire department, one of your big costs is those public safety personnel. I mean, you know, and and, and it's a big chunk of your budget. And so we've tried to look at the things that drive those costs up: pensions, the mandatory um, uh, binding arbitration that takes place, and try to amend those. We haven't been successful yet, but we think we're we think we're on the right path, and we want to continue to work on those things legislatively.
0: Do you do you see that uh, as an alternative path? The idea of sharing of services. Not uh, we we've had some major conversations on this radio show uh, about you know the struggle that you know, and again, it's in within your purview. These volunteer fire departments are having a really hard time staffing. Um, there was a big uh, report that came out in November about how we've gone from something like 300,000 people involved in volunteer firefighting back in this, the 70s to 30-some thousand now. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a factor of 10. And um, so there's a lot of calls that go on, especially medical calls, that will get unanswered, and then they have to be handled by mutual aid or something else. Um, but, but again, these, rep- these municipalities that you represent they're sitting there with this um, you know all of this infrastructure of a of a firefighting force and again i'm thinking about erie and its multiple firehouses that are strategically located throughout the city that could just as well be going inward and and you know and, and they could be going outward instead of inward right i mean uh you know are there any is anybody starting to talk this way yet i
2: think they are um you know <laughs> you know, we always kind of react to crises, right? And I think that the volunteer fire situation is slowly becoming a crisis. And for the reasons that you explained, you know, I always used to say that the career fire departments were going to, could put themselves out, that that could be out of business. And by the the reason I said that was because they were in many places that could least afford them. And, you know, with the binding arbitration laws and, and, and the collective bargaining agreements just becoming too costly that, Folks are going to have to make decisions about that, um, and you know there's a lot of you know labor issues associated with that. But at the end of the day, now what I think is happening is the ac- exact opposite, Joel. That what, what you just said with the with the dwindling number of volunteers, communities are having more and more trouble, you know, staffing. You know, to so they can go out and respond to a fire, especially nine to five. And so, how are you going to address that? Well, you're going to have to look at you know contracts, as you said, or your own career fire departments in order to do that. And I think we're You know, when folks see the sticker for that, that haven't had paid for those things, they'll get a real education.
0: Let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the cost factors uh, that third class cities across Pennsylvania are dealing with. You you mentioned pensions and um, uh, we just had Mayor Schember in here uh, from the city. And it Mm is actually this thought that if we can be, designated as a <clears throat> there's a there's a term that I'm sure you have at the top of your tongue you know but mildly distressed uh that there might be some money or uh, uh, well I won't say that there's money available but we might be able to tax at a higher uh, we would be able to tax more people at our higher income tax rate right now uh he just raised rates for uh, income tax here in Erie but it's only apl- applicable to Erie residents right and and the idea that Many, many folks live in the suburbs but work in Erie. They're not subject to that tax increase. And so if if we were able to, um, you know, raise taxes even a l- like a lot less than he already did, but on everybody that works in the city, we'd be able to fix some problems. Uh, can you speak to some of that strategy?
2: Well, if you're talking about a distressed uh, pension plan where you can add an increment to your earned income tax, that would, that would, that because it'd be higher than what folks in their, um, in their home communities would be, you could get that piece of that additional amount. So there are some other communities that have, that have done that Easton, Allentown Altoona at one time. Um, but our view is that, you know, um, certainly we understand the mayor and understand he wants to do that. And that's a tool that's available to him. We think that pensions, you know, the state, in, for many years, we've been trying to do municipal pension reform. We've introduced bills, we've negotiated, we've gotten, you know, as far as the Senate and the Senate Appropriations Committee, but haven't been able to go to the finish line. And one of the issues that was always um, ahead of us was the fact that the state hadn't done anything with their own. Well, they have now. And so we think our time has come. So I, we want to see overall municipal pension reform so that, you know, and again, you can't just snap your figures and change where you're at and make, you know, a city of Erie whole again. But what you can do is put a light at the end of the tunnel and look forward. Anything that we've talked about would be prospective, meaning only new employees coming in, that everybody existing would maintain their benefits. But we've got to look at a different way to, um, the, the pension statutes were created back in the 60s when, in fact, life expectancies, et cetera, were different. It's a different world today in terms of how we fund these things. And local government need, we need to get local government Um, you know, transitioning into what, what the realities of the world are today. But, um, and, and pensions, not everybody has a pension problem, but we certainly have lots of folks out there that even if their pensions are funded at an appropriate uh, percentage um, ratio of the funding level is good. They're still putting in way too much money um, from their general funds than they should have to. And I know we were curious experiencing that.
0: And, and, you know, but what you're up against is some very, very powerful, you know, public, uh, you know, public employee, uh, unions, right?
2: Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, we, we certainly want to have have good relationships. These are the folks that work for our members and we want to have relationships there, but they're very powerful and they've been able to stop any changes to both the binding arbitration laws and to pension reform. So I think there's a potential deal that could be had out there. Yeah, I do. I mean, we're working right in this session now, We've got more bipartisan support. If you recall a few years back, the governor asked the auditor general to to, uh, undertake a report looking at municipal pensions. And there were a bunch of recommendations in there, not all of which would be, you know, we would necessarily like, but we're willing to take some good with, you know, some bad with the good, if we can get some positive um, items take place. So we're hoping that in this session, we'll see uh, bills introduced that will reflect the task force recommendations and things that we can get behind, so we can get some relief going into the future.
0: Is there a comprehensive agenda for third-class cities? I, I I've asked, I asked this in public forums before. You know, um, uh, I remember asking in one public forum, you know, who's lobbying? And, and obviously, you guys are at the Pennsylvania Municipal League. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, uh, you know, as far as our state legislators, you know, I mean, we've got two that work in the city. Are they, you know, are they pounding the pavement for Erie as a city, as a third-class city, and the and the unique issues that we seem to have as third-class cities? Uh, again, uh, this idea that, um, you know, it it just seems it just seems that the other the other states have it better together for their cities, whether it is uh, whether it is the idea of metropolitan. Uh, approaches you know i think of nashville I think of indianapolis um and again those are massive cities mind you but uh you know but the the other thing of of just sharing you know sharing um resources working together better you know everything that we do seems to be very voluntary and there's lack of incentive i think about even school districts and again I, i'll have a lot of pushback from my school district friends but the idea that there's so many districts within a county you know, seems to be a lot of duplication of services. Um, and, and again, I don't know what the, the, the right size is, but the way we're doing it now is very expensive. Would you agree?
2: Sure. I mean, one of the things I, I would say going back to the, well, you would mention about sharing of services. I think the Commonwealth, if, 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 we certainly encourage that and want to see that. And some, so you can have some sort of functional consolidations but the, the Commonwealth is going to have to incentivize that to a much greater level than they do right now. I think i much prefer carrots than sticks, but let's give more incentives for people to look at. Can we share a police force? Can we share fire departments, even smaller stuff? Can we share a street sweeper? Things like that. Um, I think the other thing that we've tried to do, what, what's happened with cities and what we've tried to do is bring more than just cities into the mix so that we can bring more to play. Meaning that when I talked about full service municipalities, in many cases, the core urban community might be a borough, but they're a borough in name. And we have lots of townships that are in the metro areas that are functioning like, you know, um, just their their demographics might be a little different or their geographical um, uh, makeup might be different, but they're full-service communities and they're operating the same way. We've tried to focus on all those to bring more people to the table. The problem in Pennsylvania is the way we've built out, many of those legislatures talk about might have a piece of a third-class city, but might also have the area outlying it so that it's not, you know, there was a time when that wasn't the case when you could have a stronger caucus in that regard, those times have come and gone. And so we've really tried to expand our footprint to, to address that.
0: Let's, let's, let's talk about who's doing it right. What are some of the the shining lights across Pennsylvania, as you can see, in 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 collaboration with other townships in um you know bringing the cost of services down in writing uh, their you know riding their ships after maybe a scare uh, going into uh insolvency uh, any any good stories to tell
2: well um the, you know the, the, I recall a few years back Greensburg and a couple of other surrounding communities had done a multi-municipal plan which was a which was a really great effort on their part. Where I am, Center County has a really strong council of governments that they provide actual you know code enforcement services through. They there's a there's a couple of places that do contract with state college Harris Township College Township um, contract with them to provide police services. So those Center County is one of the great uh, great areas uh, for that. I think that and it's you know not all of Center County, but Harris. Um, college, state college itself, Patton, Ferguson, all sort of coming together to to provide services are, are one that I that I would always point to. Um, you know, we we certainly see um, you know pockets of places that are that are doing better than others that they that they tried to evolve. Some folks have really tried to turn their to recognize that it's going to be more of a service-based economy and to transition to something else. Other folks, they're really kind of stuck. How do you move from A to B? They've seen all their funding cut where they could, uh, you know, go after some these community development block grant program, for instance, that helped address a lot of issues in communities. has dwindled down to, to um, you know, was, you know it's, still, it's still there, but barely. And every year it's on the chopping block. So it's hard for a lot of folks to fight their way out of that but um there there are some really good examples of folks out there that are sharing services yes
0: we're down to our last minute with Rick Shuttler he is from the uh Pennsylvania Municipal League um you know when we look at Erie and uh all of the assets you know a, a lot of us have a lot of civic pride and 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 it's and it's and it's we should have it because there's a lot going for it um, you know what? What's the cautionary tale uh, that we need to know, and what do we need? What do we need to be focusing on, Rick, uh, as a community, as citizens, and as uh, uh, concerned people that love our town? Well, I think
2: that the more the John Q. Public recognizes the challenges that is the city of Erie is facing, both in their pension costs, in in their you know what what's happening, what are they. What, what is binding arbitration doing to them? How are they raising revenue? What taxes am I paying? Are these really, um, you know, is this the most progressive way that we, can, that we can govern a city like Erie? And is it really gonna help the city move forward and make, improve the quality of life and make it a desirable place for us to, to live? And I think if folks educate themselves about that a little bit, I think they'll then, they'll then turn to their state legislators and say, you need to help the city a little bit. It's not that you want to give them a lot of money, but there are structural changes you can make both in the expense side and the revenue side that would make a lot of sense and help, and help uh, an Erie really improve.
0: And with early intervention, it, it, it might be, uh, those decisions might be made for us if we don't uh, come to the table with really creative solutions, right?
2: Well, I think early intervention is a, um, is a good way to look at yourself and then to start to make some changes. When you get into Act 47, you're going to get a coordinator's report, and then you're going to have some really hard decisions to make. Early innovation can get you ahead of some of that. doesn't mean you don't have to make hard decisions at some point, but it might be a good way to look at yourself.